I mean, if you told me they were in the next room, my yeah. birth parents, I'd be like, cool, if that's really easy, I'll go and meet them and that would mm. be interesting. But given how difficult it is to actually do that and that there's no gaping hole mm. in my soul for it mm. and my family here has always been my family and we've had such a great family life, I'm like, maybe one day if it was there, yeah. but I, I'm not... You're not searching I'm for not it. I'm not driven, yet to go mm. and actually do the work that it takes. Yeah. Hello and welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. This week, Zara and I are joined by lawyer turned entrepreneur, Sarah Holloway. Sarah is the brains behind global tea brand, Matcha Maiden, and award-winning cafe, Matcha Milk Bar. And that's all before you consider her side hustle as a podcaster. She's the host of one of our favorite Aussie podcasts, Seize the Yay. And then her third gig is an Instagram influencer where she has 50,000 followers. We caught up with Sarah in our little makeshift podcast studio to chat about her being adopted from South Korea as a baby, rejecting one of the most prestigious offers a lawyer can get, and what it's like to work with your fiance. Here's Sarah. Sarah, welcome to this very special episode of Shameless. We are so thrilled to have you. I am so thrilled to be here. A fellow podcaster. I know. It is nice to meet a fellow podcaster. Especially when we're just like faking it till we make it together. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It was actually funny when we walked in here and we're like, welcome to our very special setup. And I was just so intimidated by it. I was like, this is fancy. And it is a trestle table in a small room. A very small room with a lot of books and a lot of guitars and a lot of bikes. And a lot of crap, but that's fine. That's how we do things. This is actually like minimal crap in my book, so don't <laughs> I, even worry. I can't tell you how much stuff I moved out of this room before you arrived. <laughs> uh, Sarah, we're going to start how we always do. Tell us what have you been reading, watching, listening to this week? I'm actually not a huge podcast consumer. Interesting. I think because – so one reason is because – I was using podcasts as like a way to learn all the time. And so Mm. in my downtime, I'd be like, no, I'm just going for a walk with the dog. But I'd actually be listening to like a hardcore business podcast or trying to like make every minute doubly productive. And I got to the point where I was like in the bath listening to like business things or finance things. Mm. And I was like, I need to just chill the fuck out. And same with books. I'd go on a holiday and then read a book and it would be like The Barefoot Investor or something. Not a fun book. Not a fun time. So I realized I have to I had to ban myself from that, which meant that I kind of slipped away from podcasts altogether. And then once I started the podcast, you spend so much time mm. kind of editing your own and then being in podcast land. That Yeah, so that's great. Netflix is like such a big part of my life. What and are you watching on Netflix right now? Everything. Yeah. I've almost run out of everything. So we also have Stan and Amazon Prime. Mm. Oh my God, the triple and, threat. Love oh, it. I know. And the big thing for me is it has to be super, super removed from anything that's normal in my life. So mm. true crime, um, crime fiction. It's a lot of crime, a lot of war. Mm. I'm not into like fantasy or anything, mm-hmm. but love comedy. So what did I watch recently? I consumed the whole of the Harry Kabir affair Ooh, in like I, one day. We saw about things one about day. that in our Facebook group. Oh, Lots of our listeners love that. Yeah. And we haven't seen it. What's that about? It's a murder mystery okay. um, with Patrick Dempsey. I think it's one of his first ones that he directed as well. Mm-hmm. And it's like super easy to watch. It's like a good plot that keeps you wanting to watch more, but not so complicated that you're actually concentrating when you're watching it. It's like the perfect balance between, you know, often a fantasy land, but also like, whoa, what is happening in the 
next episode. So I watched it all in one day. Um, I'm also watching Narcos, the Mexican version. Oh, I version. love Narcos. So good. I just, I'm just a sucker for TV and in wellness, it's really hard because everyone's kind of like, I don't even have a television in my home. And me and my kids, we just like go outside and ground in the trees. And like, it's amazing. It's true. Like I shouldn't be on devices as much as I am. But at the same time, I'm like, this year, around halfway through the year, I just realized it's a really important part of me switching off at the end of the day. And so I'm just not going to apologize for doing things differently anymore. Some people need something to switch off. I'm the same. If I sit there without anything stimulating me, that's when my mind goes elsewhere. Like yeah. I need something in front of me in order to, to force my mind to shut down. Totally. And I can't kind of switch from work mode during the day to like bedtime without having all the ideas going everywhere yeah. if I haven't kind of transferred into that mode yeah. by something that's completely separated from all those things. You've got a cushion at the end of the day with something just to mm. chill your mind out, I reckon. Yeah. It's almost like meditation for me. But yeah, there's so much. Now, what were you like as a kid? You are obviously super successful now. We're going to get into that everything to do with matcha and matcha milk bar a little bit down the track. But what were you like? Did you always see yourself going down the path that you have? I don't think I always saw myself ending up as a business owner. Um, I always wanted that, but it wasn't sort of something, you know, I'm not one of those kids who had a lemonade stand and mm. knew my cogs and whatever when I was seven, <laughs> but I have always been pretty extra. Um, <laughs> <laughs> haven't we all been? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've always been sort of equal parts uber nerd and arty farty. And that's yeah. always played out in, you know, I was super nerdy at school, but then I also was a ballerina. So I was actually with the Australian ballet when I was younger Wow. Um, and would just twirl around like a complete moron in my like 20. I used to think that the more levels of tutus you had on, like the cooler you were. So I'd turn <laughs> up to school in like these seven levels of tutus. Um, yeah, always quite extroverted um, and super interested in learning and meeting new people. I've always loved people um, and I've always loved trying new things. Like I've always loved languages. I've always loved traveling. I've always loved doing things that are uncomfortable and kind of getting used to that mm. discomfort. And I don't know whether that came from uh, my original heritage. So I was actually born in South Korea and was adopted when I was six months old. Mm. So have no memory of being Korean. I grew up in a white country bumpkin Australian family, <laughs> hence the Anglo-Saxon name. And, uh, you know, eventually, obviously, my parents had to tell us quite early because I was completely Asian and they're completely white and I was obviously going to start <laughs> <Just> asking questions. <laughs> connecting the dots. But I think that kind of made me quite different in, you know, a small Catholic primary school. I had to get comfortable with who I was and how I was different really early, which is unusual at that age. I also had to come to terms with the fact that I could have had a really different life. And so I've always had that sense of gratitude that I think goes over a lot of kids at a young age. I kind of always knew that I was really lucky to be here and it could have been different, you know, I, I don't know why I was chosen, you know, all those kind of things. You have to come to terms with them earlier in your life, um, which meant that I always wanted to make the most of every opportunity. So Anytime there was sport, you know, I've always done sport and dance and drama and art and music and all the nerdy stuff because I've just had this thirst to like make the most of every opportunity. So it's almost like you, that really influenced your sense of identity that yeah. you were adopted. So you've wanted to grasp onto everything that comes your way to make yeah. the most of it. Yeah. I think it just makes you really grateful to be here from an earlier age than most people actually realize how grateful, how lucky they are to have their mm. life and to live in an amazing country where there's lots of opportunities. So that meant that I did have a really active childhood. I was always obviously dancing. So I was um, like 
into sport and physical activity. Um, at, but I've always been a bit crazy and I've always had a jam-packed schedule and been like quite self-motivated and self-disciplined since I was a kid. So, you know, doing ballet competitions and all that kind of stuff. Like mum could not do my hair because like she wouldn't do it right. <laughs> and I had like my schedule of like when my training was. I've always been very organised, a um, little bit OCD. Um, and yeah, then I got to school and I, I ended up giving up dancing cause I discovered that like boys and drinking was really fun as well yeah. and never do anything halfway. So I went <laughs> totally off the rails for a little while and then I came back and, and realized that, um, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do by the end of high school. So the perfect way to kind of unite that equal part nerd and arty farty sides of myself was an arts law degree because I ended up getting a really good score and I was like, I should probably do something that opens more doors, but mm. plain law seemed a little bit dry. So mm. I did um, arts to do some languages. I've mentioned before, I studied quite a few languages. Do you and know other languages? Are you fluent in anything? Yeah, I'm fluent in French. Um, oh, I went to uni there, did law in French, which was silly, but um, oh my <laughs> that sounds like a walk in the park. But, oh, breezy. You know, I went over there because I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to Europe on exchange. And then it was like the hardest semester <laughs> I've ever done in my life. I did Middle Eastern politics in French because I thought, oh, oh that'd God. be really fun. Like, again, I knew nothing about it. I've never been a big history buff or, you know, I just hadn't, I actually don't know how I grew up to the age that I did without understanding world, world history. Like I just mm. had no concept of mm. like time. And I was like, there was dinosaurs. And then they were like, <laughs> world war one, like, where does that all fit? You know, I was so like <laughs> ignorant. I just had been in my own little bubble. So I thought I'm going to go for another, another like thing that's uncomfortable that I know nothing mm. about. My marks didn't count overseas. So I was like, this is going to be awesome. And I'll do it in French. Cause like, awesome. <laughs> so much learning, <laughs> so much learning. And I cried for like the first three months cause I didn't understand anything. Yeah. Um, and again, even in English, I didn't understand anything. Yeah. And, I, and my lecturer was, um, speaking French, but like with the thickest Arabic accent. So I just couldn't literally <laughs> understand a word that he was saying. Uh, but yeah, I think I knew then I've always had an appetite for challenge and mm. uh, learning and, um, again, graduated and still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was like, law is going to be a really good place to start. So I went into a really good law firm, um, spent three years there and then, yeah. And then the business was a complete accident. So never a planned thing. Never. So law wasn't the plan. It was sort of, wasn't it an interim kind of thing in your mind or was it just kind of the thing that you did get really good marks? So you went straight into uni and then you kind of got a job and it just sort of all fell together very easily. Yeah, I think it was... The plan until I found something better. Yeah. Like it wasn't It wasn't like I was actively trying to get out of it. I'd only been there for two and a half, three years when we had the idea for Matcha Maiden. But it was something I thought, you know, maybe in 10 years I might have used, you know, built up enough skills to move on to something different. But by different I kind of thought, you know, maybe the UN or diplomacy mm. but still in a legal role. I didn't think it would be so far removed. <laughs> and in an ideal world, like off in dreamland, I was like, yeah, I'd, I think I'd love to run my own business. So I went to a lot of like the League of Extraordinary Women. I was there at their first event and was a member for like the first seven years or something. So I, I'd started to investigate that kind of industry and that kind of job but never actually thought I'd have an idea and take it to fruition within the next decade, mm. let alone like the next couple of years. Um, and I think it's like a lot of people, you just fall into something because it's a process of elimination. It's not necessarily that you decide, I want to do that. I wasn't like, I want to be a lawyer since I was a kid. Mm. I just kind of was like, 
well, I've got to do something. And not many people get to find that something better. No, but I also think not many people try to find it. And that's the thing because once you fall into something that's secure, that's respected, that's got a good trajectory and if you're making progress and learning, like I got to travel, I worked in Hong Kong for almost a year and that in in itself is like a really amazing opportunity. So I was like fine. I was like, Mm. this is fine. And you don't actually go out very often and check in with whether you're doing something that you love or whether you're actually having fun, which is kind of where my podcast CZA came from, is the idea of joy and happiness. Our society is like so focused on success and goals and like metrics and, you know, awards or recognition or big careers and big titles that you kind of get a bit, um, you get a bit detached from like whether you're actually enjoying it, whether Mm. you're, you know, whether you're passionate about your job, not that you always have to be, but a lot of people just don't think about it. And then they end up 20 years down the track and they're like, oh, this is, there was a whole other world out there Mm. that I never investigated because I just didn't explore. And your job can be full-time jobs can be so consuming that you don't even have time for hobbies. So if your mind's not there and you're not thinking, maybe I should explore my other, you know, skills and and interests, then you can kind of end up in a rut that just keeps going for years and years. So yeah, for sure. So tell us about Matcha Maiden. Obviously you were working full-time and this popped up. Where did it pop up? Really randomly, actually. So I was volunteering in Rwanda, another random thing that we were doing. My partner, Nick, has a creative agency called The Bushy Creative, and he was helping out YGAP on one of their big campaigns. And all the funds went to this school in Netanyo, which is just out of Rwanda, and we decided that we'd go over with them on one of their expeditions and help build build schools for about a month, which was obviously just one of the most eye-opening and incredible experiences and taught me so much about humanity and happiness and gratitude and relativity and and just people and yeah it was so so incredible and transformative but I got a parasite while I was over there so yeah I know (laughs) and I was being so careful but you know you can't we were out in the countryside there wasn't a lot of running water so I came home with a parasite lost 15 kilos (gasps) I know. And I wasn't, you know, I didn't have 15 kilos to lose. So like the first few kilos, I was like, mm, great way to lose pounds. And then <laughs> 10 kilos later, I couldn't get out of bed and I kept going to work. You know, I was typical A-type personality. I was like, nothing's wrong with me. I'm fine. I'll just think my way through it or something. <laughs> <laughs> just hope my way through yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just work hard my way through it. I don't know. <laughs> um, and I was banned from coffee because every time I try and have a coffee, it, my body was so um, weak and frail and my adrenals were so like drained that a coffee would give me a full panic attack and I'd end up in the bathroom. Oh I had like racing heart. My arms would go numb. And I was, you know, at the time, like a 10 cups a day kind of girl working in m and It was like 20 hour days and then got sent to Hong Kong and matches everywhere in Asia. It's like not a new thing. It's been around for centuries. Zen Buddhist monks have been using it in their meditation for that prolonged um, energy boost that doesn't have like the crash and jitters of coffee. So I was like, oh my God, what's this miracle superfood that's been around for ages? It's, you know, green tea. So it's not like a weird spirulina that no one's heard of. It's like really familiar and it's got 137 times the antioxidants of regular green tea and Mm. super versatile. If you don't like the flavor, you can hide it in a smoothie and no one's done that, even though green smoothies were all the rage and Mm. the health food market was booming. So we came home, couldn't find it anywhere. Went on Google, found something we really liked that was 
kind of like the right price point between the T2, which had matcha at the time, but it was like $60 for a small tin and not, it was like when your grandma comes over, special occasion kind of tea. Yeah, not, not accessible like, to the people who probably want it, which would be young women, right? Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't made trendy. It wasn't made healthy. Health benefits weren't even known. Or it was in an Asian grocery with no English labeling and often with sugar in it. And I'm Asian. I don't go in there. So I was like, health foodies aren't going to go in there to find something. Mm. So yeah, we went online and found um, a blend that was like the right middle ground. And then ordered 10 kilos which was the minimum and then it turned up and it was massive and we're like oh my god (laughs) we got too much matcha (laughs) so yeah Nick and I decided I'd been itching for like a creative project or a hobby or something new and um, he'd never done a product he'd done, done lots of tech businesses and services but never a product so we decided if I can sell one bag, I can put it on LinkedIn that I'm an entrepreneur and like that's all that really matters. <laughs> so yeah, we just got bags, got labels, got little scales. I always tell the same story. Anyone who's listening's probably heard this before. You sound a little bit like drug dealers. Just yeah. I was about, that's the story I always tell and everyone who's heard it is like, oh my God. It's just like the Lady Gaga telling that one story where it's like there yes. are a hundred people in the room. This is yours. He chose me. Yeah. yeah, this is mine where we were like little drug scales. We were like, Breaking Bad, but green. Uh, <laughs> that seems like a line you've used before. Every time. Oh. I'm like, there's no better way to describe it. No, I know? love that. It was the middle of summer. We were like trying not to get fibers or any sweat in the bag. So we're in our undies, <laughs> keeping our hair back with shower caps. Like really, you know, you were talking about before faking it till you make it. Like this looks so professional compared to our little sweatshop operation that we had <laughs> when we started Matcha Maiden. Uh, yeah. And it just took off. Like we didn't even, we did a little social media launch, but we had like a thousand followers and weren't big ourselves at the time. Like we didn't have any expertise in that area. Um, Nick built an online store and then we just kind of launched it and it sold out in a week. And oh we're like, God. oh, we don't know what the supplier's details are because we didn't keep them because we didn't think it would go this well. And yeah, that was three and a half years ago. And we've got a warehouse here and in LA. Um, we've got like 1500 stockers around the world. I know you guys are obsessed with Carly Claus. Well, one of, half of us are. Half of us. <laughs> Me. <laughs> so she came to Australia with Adidas a couple of years yeah. ago and she said, I want Matcha Maiden to come and do a tea ceremony for me in my hotel room. Stop. So I was like, let me see if I can fit Carly into my schedule. <laughs> what was she like? Amazing. Told you. So amazing. So down to earth. Mm. <laughs> amazing. Like swanned in. Just like it was, ain't no thing. Like I'm not a Victoria's Secret Angela. I'm just like one of you. She yeah. was so <laughs> lovely. I swear to God, I'll spend the rest of my life wondering how I missed the Carly Kloss train and why I don't get it. I think a lot of people missed it. That's why I'm trying to push it real hard. <laughs> yeah. You're on a mission. Yeah. On a mish. Yeah. That's I think awesome. a lot of people missed it though. I think they did. Yeah. That's why she flew under the radar and I'm trying to bring her above the radar. Yeah, because I can't, I can't believe I just said Carly Kloss flew under the radar. <laughs> you're like you're like a Carly Kloss activist. It's the biggest thing you're doing with our platform. It's just pushing Carly Kloss up well well i'll just have to you know give her a call sarah she's on speed dial (laughs) yes i had some have some yeah crazy highs it's been obviously some crazy lows as well like any business we just had the typhoon in japan which was very difficult but yeah it's been an amazing amazing journey we've built like a beautiful we call it a community and i've just had fun learning oh my god community i know i love that (laughs) everything's a pun um yeah just having heaps of fun like yeah, building a business and reaching so many people through mm. something that's an actually awesome product that I use every day. But the, the best part has been all the side effects of just meeting amazing people, mm. being part of the business community and like meeting so many amazing women and men who are just doing awesome stuff, mm. like people who aren't constrained by 
you know, the limited way that a lot of people think who are just innovating and doing amazing things, changing the world. Mm. It's been such an amazing transition. I still don't know what the hell I'm doing. but <laughs> None think, of us do. I think no one does. No I think that's kind of the fun of it. <laughs> How did you go telling people? Because I can imagine that as a lawyer, you have a very well-respected career path ahead of you and your family and friends would all be looking at you on that path and think potentially that that's amazing and that's going to set you up for a really great life. How did those people around you then respond when you completely pivoted and changed direction? Yeah, it was a really interesting time. I think I had equal parts really risk-averse friends who, particularly lawyers, were trained to be really risk-averse, who were sort of like, this is amazing, I'm so excited for you, but also like, what are you doing? Being in this funny little Instagram land, like, is it really going to go anywhere? What's going to (laughs) happen in a couple of years? Whereas I had so many friends who had already gone into business who were the opposite, who were like, why not Why not now? Like, what is the risk? There is no risk. It's already doing well. You've got proof of concept, like all that kind of stuff. So, And also the big thing was I don't have Asian parents, which was so amazing because so many people automatically assume, you know, as a lawyer who's Asian, you're going to have that family obligation as well, whereas I didn't have that. My mm-hmm. parents were like, go for it. This is amazing. You're doing something that makes you obviously so happy. And they'd seen, I think – over the first few years of me being a lawyer, they'd seen the creative side of me just kind of disappear. Mm-hmm. Not not because it, it wasn't there, but just because I had no forum to use it. And no time. I had no time, yeah. And then they suddenly saw this like part of me come alive again, which has always been more dominant than the nerdy side. And they were like, wow, she's actually – and they saw sales as well. They were like, stuff is actually happening. And they've always supported me to make decisions based on like what can you never do again in life. And you can always go back to being a lawyer. That industry will never be redundant, which is makes it an amazing qualification to have. But it's always going to be there, whereas the chance to build a business off something that we were first to market at the time or one of the very first to market, we're in a world where, you know, e-commerce and Instagram and social media is democratizing business and influence, which is so exciting. And it's never been like that before. And it might not be like that again. So I did agonize over and over again for months and months. I stayed for six months. So I did stay full time and then um, built the business for the first six months of the business, which was Like I don't recommend staying that long because the hours were crazy. But it it does give you enough time to kind of figure out whether it's worth it, whether Mm. it is the right balance, whether you do want to do it full time. You need capital at the start as well. So my wage was really helpful. Um, And I waited until it really was a mutually exclusive kind of situation where – we ended up getting into Urban Outfitters across the states, which was like the hugest. Just a small little Just casually. <laughs> I was like, how did they find this Melbourne couple packing in their undies? <laughs> and that was when we would have had to say no or someone would have had to go full time to pack it. So it kind of put me in that position of, well, you can't do both and you're going to have to choose one or the other. And it just happened to be at a time when if, I don't know if you guys know, um, in the legal industry, a lot of people do a judge's associateship, where, which is where you leave for a year. It's not a career. It's just a, a one year or maybe two year max stint that you do with a judge. You sit with them for a year and you get an incredible insight into like how the law is made. It's a very prestigious thing to do. And I'd applied for one with the high court maybe six years before or something. And I didn't get it when I was at uni. They apply years in advance because it's like the highest court in the land and there's only seven judges. And randomly that year, someone had dropped out and the judge called me who was now the chief justice. and was like, we want to have you next year. And I was like, oh, (laughs) once upon a time, that would have been, you know, the most amazing highlight of my career. That's huge. would have been, yeah, I would have moved to Canberra. I would have been in the high court, like literally deciding the laws and Mm -hmm. helping her write judgments. But then this business was kind of 
just on that pivotal point of like if we put more time into it, we could go global and or we had already gone global with Urban Outfitters and and this is where I'm really, really passionate. This is where I feel my yay, as I now call it. Looking back, I was like, this is my thing. This is what I'm made to do. And, yeah, in the end it just came down to I could maybe not go back to a judge's associateship but I could go back to that career. But. Was it a hard one? Did that decision, did you agonize or was it one of those things that sounds like a big risk when you're talking about it, mm. but deep down you sort of knew which way you were always going to go? I think it's the opposite. Now looking back, it was a really easy decision yeah. because it seems so clear that I could only do, you know, I could only take this path because it was where I'm sort of meant to be. But at the time it was the hardest decision I've ever made. Mm. Like it was just... Not, I actually ended up not feeling the societal pressure as much, which was interesting because I thought I'd be funny about leaving a prestigious job to just go out on my own. I thought I'd be funny about the money. I, it actually wasn't any of that. It was more just what will I regret? Like totally having two good choices. And it was also that I wasn't unhappy there. It was like, am I, I'm walking away from something that hasn't made me unhappy. It's fine. It's like good. But then there's this opportunity to be great. Mm. Like maybe I don't want to just be fine. Yeah. And that's what scares me the most because people will leave jobs. They will change their life if they're unhappy, but if they're just blur, they won't. Yeah. And that's the scary thing. If you're just blur, you don't want to just be blur forever, but some people don't even know that that's what they are because they don't know that there's anything better. Tell us about your relationship with social media now, because obviously you are, you know, a business owner, you have Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar, which are both huge, but you also have this personal brand that is very strong too. How, mm-hmm. how do you deal with all of those things at once? Yeah, it's really funny. I just had um, Emma Isaacs from Business Chicks on CZA and she has actually made me feel a lot better about answering this, answering this question because she was asked about work-life balance and she was like, I just don't buy into it. Like, it's just not realistic for how I run my life and what I want to achieve. And for me, I've always said, oh, you know, it's really hard to get the right balance, but I kind of on my phone and then I'm off my phone. But actually to run the three accounts and achieve all the things I want to achieve, I'm on my phone a lot. Mm. And I do have probably a funny relationship with social media to people who aren't in that world. I love listening to your last episode about that whole narcissism that's been coming out of it because it can be quite a toxic environment and people who are outside it don't really understand it. So to the outside, they'd be like, you have such a weird relationship with your phone and that whole mm. online world. Yeah. But I think the relationship you have with it is what you make of it. And I've really, really tried to curate a really supportive, inspiring, exciting environment, which means that when I do spend time on it, obviously sometimes I get bogged down in comparison and anxiety about being on it too much. But most of the time I can't wait to get back because I'm excited about what's there. And so I do spend a lot of time on it and I have had to create boundaries time-wise of like I won't look at it after a certain time at night because I just get too (laughs) wired and excited. (laughs) We do have one day a week on Sundays where Nick and I try to not be on them because Mm. everywhere in the world is on a Sunday Mm. or on a weekend at that time. There's no time zone where you have an excuse to be trying to look at stuff. No one expects anything of you. Um, but in between I'm on it a lot. I'm replying to stuff. I love being able to reply to things personally. I think that's a really big reason why the businesses grew so big is because it was either me or Nick or a founder who was replying to stuff, unless it was really menial, like obvious things like opening hours. But if someone leaves, you know, a really meaningful comment or a question, I love responding to that. I love sharing people's things. It's the quickest way to get feedback on stuff that's gone wrong as well and to correct it. Like it's the most powerful platform that you could possibly harness if you use it the right way. 
also the most powerful that can be damaging if you use it the wrong way. But I think if you're conscious of what A, you're consuming and B, what you're putting out there for other people, I do get a twang every now and then since my personal brand has become something, I do get a bit of a twang of guilt about the narcissistic part of that, but I've just decided I'm either going to you, I'm either going to like change, you know, get rid of it because I'm uncomfortable or I'm going to change my, the way I do things to get comfortable with it and then still use the platform. And one of the things I had to do was like, I post bloops. I don't know if you've seen them. I post every time I post like a nice curated photo, which I still like doing. We all like doing that. Oh yeah. <laughs> I cancel it out with like all the, you know, my new, my camera roll, which has like 25 million takes. I post that, you know, or I'll find the ugliest like action shot that's got, I don't have seven chins most of the time, but sometimes I do. And my eyes are pretty small. Like they can do really weird shapes, you know, I'll like zoom in as much as I can and post them. And the first time I did it, I was so uncomfortable, but I was like, you need to post something that you feel really uncomfortable about to cancel out the other thing, because you also feel that uncomfortable about posting only the you with makeup on, which is you like 10% of the time. So that's one thing that helped me feel a little bit less guilty. Um, another thing is like, I have rules about which editing apps I'll, I'll use. Um, I do quotes of the day so that the stuff I'm putting out is really positive. Yeah. I obviously do a podcast. that's really happiness focused, but I also have quite crippling anxiety. So I made a call to like talk about that quite openly. I think you just need to have boundaries on what kind of a user and content creator that you want to be and then follow, like create the people that you follow as well the same way. Like mm. it just, it's about, it's so funny. We curate our personal environments a lot better these days. I think people have cottoned onto that quote that you're the sum of the five people you spend mm. the most time with. So we're getting rid of toxic relationships. We're getting rid of toxic boys. We're getting rid of toxic friendships, but then we don't do it on social media and we still, it's like a car accident that you can't look away from. True. You're like, I don't want to look at that like really skinny person and, and then like feel shit about my body, even though I'm just never going to be that size because I'm a 10 year old boy, Asian body, and I'm never going to have big <laughs> boobs and a tiny waist. Like it's never going to happen, but I still just have to look at it I just one day made a call I was like that's making me feel shit I just need to like grow some balls and like get rid of those things um yeah it's a process though it is absolutely a process and every day it changes every day I'm like you know following unfollowing or like changing the way we do things just depending on what feels good and you just have to make it feel good because mm -hmm. it can be awesome I've made heaps of friends you touched on before uh, trying to find work-life balance and how that is a bit of bullshit, which Emma Isaacs touched on in her book. How do you go with Nick, your fiancé, <laughs> when you work together, you live together, you're in a relationship together? Mm. Do you ever feel like your whole life becomes encompassed by work or how do you navigate that as a couple? Definitely. So <laughs> our first year in business was so challenging because – it, we'd gone from having careers that were so separate. So we were so independent and like the time commitment as well of my, like he's always run his own businesses, but physically I had to be in the office for a certain amount of hours. So we were just always apart to suddenly being working on the same thing. It was like the most satisfying, exciting thing to suddenly have the same goal. And so for the first like honeymoon period of a couple of months, it was like, Ooh, we're working together. Oh my God. Like we could wake up and just have Ricky together. And like, I didn't have to rush off at 6am and then be home at midnight. We're eating together and doing everything together. But kind of about a year in, we realized like we hadn't had a date. 
we were hardly having sex. Like, sorry, Nick, I know that's an overshare. <laughs> but, you know, because we'd lie down and start talking about work. I, we, our pillow talk was like, have you done the baths? Have you submitted this? Did you do all of those bags? Sounds sexy. So <laughs> sexy. And we were packing, you know, till midnight. So there was no time. Like, we were hardly even sleeping. But then on top of that, in all our spare time that we might have, like weekends, there were no boundaries. So we'd keep working or we'd, even if we weren't working, we were like on our social media or thinking of new ideas or going to cafes that stock matcha or going to yoga studios that we work as a collab, you know, every personally, individually, we didn't have boundaries, but then also together we didn't. And that's when I think you start to, as any kind of business partner, you have challenges in the first few years, like figuring out how you speak to each other. But as a couple, you take so many liberties with someone that you're close with that Mm -hmm. you would never take with a third person. So we just didn't have our communication right either. So the highs were really high, but then the lows would be really low because if one of us would pitch something to each other, you know, with a normal business partner, you'd be like, look, it's great. But, uh, and then you'd constructively kind of say With what your, your partner, feedback was. Brutal. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine rejecting my partner and just Nick, being like, I no. I fucking hate it. That is so fucking ugly. Like, well, you know, like we'd yeah. just go to town on each other and then wonder why we were fighting a lot and wondering why we were exhausted all the time and why we were just business partners, but not even good business partners. And that was like 90% of our relationship and then 10% of the time we were a couple. So, over the next year, once we kind of realized it was okay, once you call it and realize it's just a transition that you're going through, you just put in better boundaries and like decide that your relationship is more important than the business and that that's what you want to prioritize. And some couples at that point might realize that they're not going to last, like as business partners, you know, that it's not worth it. Mm. And they've just got to figure out a different way to not work together. Like I think there are couples who can't make it work. For us, our skills are so different that all we had to do was just divide our departments so that we knew who was the boss of each area and we were never butting heads. That was the first thing. The second thing was don't work in your bedroom environment. So we work on our laptops so much and we just had to kind of say no to that. And then physically separating things makes it so much easier to know when you're in work mode or when you're in like couple mode. And then during the day, once we had different departments, our meetings and stuff were separate anyway. So it meant that we'd kind of get out of each other's faces for a couple of hours a day and then come back and have our time that was us time. I think once you realize that you just have to treat it with care and attention and put in some parameters and actually talk about it with each other, it becomes so much easier. And we happen to be a couple that's traveled a lot together. So we've been 24-7 together a lot of times and being able to see that we can last in that scenario. So we kind of had a good base, but yeah, it did, it did take a while and it still does become one of the biggest challenges in making time for yourselves, but we're a lot better at it now. I bet. I mean, I I imagine it's a similar idea when you make your passion, your work as well. Have you found that too, that you have to make sort of, or you have to sort of rejig your, how you consider your work? because it was once your passion. Yeah, that it was it's so funny that you said that. That is exactly what happened to me. So the first year it all just felt like play because I was mm. like this is what I used to do for fun and for free. Like this is what I love doing, content creation and even things like um going to events in the community. Like Matcha Maiden's big on that community kind of concept. So we support local yoga studios, we do lots of events, we give goodie bag things to, you know, we're kind of all over the place, which meant we'd just go to events all the time and think that that was still not work because it mm. was a fun event, which meant that I just packed out everything from like 8am till midnight, pretty much every night with stuff that was like 
work related, but not calling it work. So I was like, I'm resting. I went to yoga, <laughs> but I'd go to yoga and do a tasting after and do this and this and that and have all these things that I was like following up leads, or like handing out business cards. And it just wasn't, it wasn't real rest. So I just had to do exactly what you said, redefine all that stuff as work and then put in some time that wasn't work. And that's how, and again, another big thing that led to seize the a is that i wasn't kind of finding any joy in stuff that wasn't work related and i realized i had no identity that wasn't matcha which is fine for the first couple of years when you have a startup that's part of it and you do have to make a lot of big sacrifices but once you're kind of two and three years in there's not really an excuse anymore to just be a person that's consumed by your business and then you get to the point where you resent it so much because you're so tired and you don't have any fresh creativity or ideas because you're just too in it so I think about two years in, I started to get confident that it wasn't going to die if I took a day <laughs> off. And to, I think we, I can't remember, we went to Greece, which was like the first holiday we'd had in three or four years or something and came back. And that's when all the new ideas that we had, that's when the cafe came about, all our fresh stuff came after a break. And I realized like the most powerful thing you can do is have an identity that's separate to escape to, because then you have balance. Then your brain can like the brain we abuse our brains so much we're learning to look after our physical bodies a lot better and as as a lawyer I kind of thought I I'm exercising and I'm eating well and I'm sleeping so tick like I've ticked everything but then there's like this brain that controls everything that none of us are giving downtime and none of us are giving quiet time or like rest time or just not you know we're so on all the time and that's where all this like mental illness is coming that's why there's so much anxiety and so much depression because we just treat our brains so badly but don't really realize we don't call it as abuse because we're like what I'm just working hard or I'm I'm exercising and eating well so it's fine um yeah so I just realized I had to find activities that take me completely away from that so it literally started as like really weird things like gardening. Like I hate gardening. I've always hated gardening. I'm so bad at it, but I was like, it takes me away from all my devices. I don't know what time it is. Your hands are busy. My hands are busy and I have to just sit with my thoughts and like think about stuff and be a person who's not doing a business. And slowly, slowly you get more used to that feeling and then realize how good it is for you. And then it brings the joy back to what you're actually doing Mm. because your passion can come back. Suddenly you're like excited to come back to work rather than just like, uh, if you do anything for too long, too hard, it'll start to feel like a drainer. And that's a shame when you're really passionate about something, your ideas start to go stale and yeah. You mentioned earlier in the podcast about how you were adopted and originally from South Korea. Yes. Do you have any part of you, maybe a part on a spiritual level of yourself that you want to explore where you were born? Mm, I think, I think because firstly, the cultural divide is so great. Whereas if there was, if it was an within Australia adoption, it would probably be a lot easier to like visualize and a lot easier to actually do logistically. Because I was so young and I've grown up as an Australian in my mind, like I'm such a country bumpkin Australian, like I'm such a bogan, I've never kind of felt like something's missing, like a part of my identity is missing. I don't remember ever speaking Korean. I don't have any like visual memories. Um, Nothing's attached to like a particular person. There are no memories there. And my younger brother was adopted from Korea as well. Different biological family, but same birthday. Ah, Oh, random. There you go. And he was the same, six months. So at a a good age for adoption because you don't form any memories Mm. and it isn't as much of a difficult transition to find your identity where you are. But because we just grew up as Australian 
and trying to imagine a super Eastern context, it's as foreign to me as it is to you guys. It feels like an alternate reality or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we've gone back for – we went back for the Soccer World Cup in 2002, but we were just complete tourists. Like you don't go back and sort of identify with anyone yeah. because that's like, well, I'm an Aussie. Like yeah. it's like any Australian-born Korean would be mm. with having grown up here and gone to school here and spoken languages here. Um I don't feel like a burning desire to go and find my birth parents or anything. I think a lot of the time the story isn't super positive, um, but also there were no computers back in the 80s. Uh, it's really, really difficult to do it even if you want to. And other than my medical history, which I think would be really interesting just to have some kind of background of things to look out for, but again... Like maybe I don't want to know that. Maybe I just want to like. So none of us really. <laughs> I don't know my medical really stuff <laughs> anyway. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, if you told me they were in the next room, my yeah. birth parents, I'd be like, cool. If that's really easy, I'll go and meet them, and that would mm. be interesting. But given how difficult it is to actually do that, and that there's no gaping hole mm. in my soul for it, mm. and my family here has always been my family, and we've had such a great family life, I'm like, maybe one day if it was there, yeah. but I, I'm not. You're not searching I'm for not it. I'm not driven yet to go mm. and actually do the work that it takes. Yeah. A couple of people I know have been. We've got a community of um, Koreans who were all adopted at the same time that our parents have, you know, went through the process together and we're all still friends. A couple of them have been more curious, but neither my brother or I have ever really, you know, felt the need. And, yeah. Sarah, we end every episode in the same way. We love finding out who other people are inspired by or the kind of women either in your life or that you look up to that you admire who have you got on your list? <gasps> that is such a hard one. Because you interview a lot of great women as well yeah. for your podcast, CCA. So I'm sure you've got a lot. Yeah. I mean, everyone I've interviewed so mm. far, like, gosh, who I find really, really inspiring aren't so much now the women who are, who are, who've sort of done it, built their businesses and are now continuing to grow, but have kind of found their groove. Mm. It's the women now who are taking big risks at the beginning, who, especially mothers, they they inspire me so much because I'm like you have made a human from scratch, and <laughs> grown from somewhere. They've grown from somewhere, but not only that, like you have had no sleep for the last however many years that they've been alive. You're already your whole brain is consumed with like making them grow up and and raising them, and you're doing a business. Whereas I can't even like wipe my own butt and then get myself <laughs> out of the house, and I still find running a business really difficult. So you know Emma Isaacs is one. Yeah. She has five children. I couldn't I believe that. When I found that out, she's yeah. incredible. I just am like, I don't know how women now who have children start a business in that state. Yeah. Like already having no time. They then take the risk, get through the self-doubt, get through all of those things. Like it's easy for me. I'm not 30 yet. I don't have a huge amount of risk. I don't have mortgages. You know, I, I, it's, it's not easy. It was still scary. There was still a lot of self-doubt. But people who really take a jump, I'm like, that is seriously inspiring. Sarah, you have been such a delight and we can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your very, very, very busy schedule to chat to us. So oh, thank, thank you. you so much for having me. That went so quickly. I'm like, let's keep talking. <laughs> it flew. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you guys. And that's all for this week's In Conversation episode. If you love Sarah as much as we do, please go chuck her a follow on Instagram at spoonful underscore of underscore Sarah. Or you can subscribe to her amazing podcast, Seize the Yay. 
As for us, if you want to support Shameless, please click subscribe in your podcast feed. We drop episodes every Monday and then in conversation episodes fortnightly on Thursday. Or you can also follow us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We've got a newsletter. We've got a Facebook group. We are all over the internet. And that's it. We will be in your ears again for our regular episode on Monday. Bye, guys. Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.